broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Hello, what is up, y'all? Episode number eight, brought to you by me, spoken by me, but said for you. So this episode is going to be on boundaries. I know it's a little weird, um, but it's something that I've been working on personally in my life over the past year, and I feel like I should parlay some of that information to you. But first, in the news, so I was going to record this podcast last week, and then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to wait till after my meet so that I can talk about it. The good, bad, or the ugly, but thank God it was good. So I'm probably going to spend maybe half of the episode talking about this. Not my meet, but some thoughts. Um, I competed in the Ironmongers Pro-Am. Pro-Am means pro and amateur. I did not know that, and I had to ask, and now y'all know if you didn't. And I'm embarrassed that I didn't know it, but I keep it real. So I competed on the Pro Day, which was Saturday. It was hosted at Ironmongers, which is in San Marcos, California, kind of by Oceanside, halfway between L.A. and San Diego. And it was... Rick invited me when I did the San Diego Fit Expo in October. He's like, you should do my pro meet. You, you know, you'd be awesome for this. And I was like, you know what? All right, fuck it. So it was a pro meet with a cash payout and a qualifying total to enter. And he was not charging any of the athletes to enter the meet. And you got a meet shirt. And I was like, this is fucking cool. Like, this is set up for the lifters and it was USPA and as a meat director he's kind of going above and beyond what a normal meat director does to you know make a show and give athletes a stage to you know be on and not necessarily doesn't have to be the biggest stage in the world and it doesn't need to be just a regular meat so he did something in between which I really think is cool um the meet was originally supposed to be two flights of men and women, and then a lot of people dropped out, didn't show, got injured, didn't tell him, whatever. So it ended up being one big flight, like uh, big dogs, which was pretty fucking cool. But um, Rick learned a lot and how he's going to run the meet in upcoming years to make sure that people come. And I think that this is a California problem. So I have athletes all over the country. And, um, for example, I have an athlete that's in New Jersey, and I was just trying to get her to do a meet sometime in the early summer or late spring. And I was looking at USPA's website, and there's two meets in New Jersey this year. There's two meets in New York. There's like five or six meets maybe in Pennsylvania. And then I went on the WRPF website and I saw one meet. Um, That is the one that ended up being the best option for her. But can you imagine you guys that live in California, like go on the website and, you know, then you look it up and there's like three meets. Crickets, crickets. No, y'all motherfuckers are spoiled. And in California, it's like, eh, this meet, you know, fuck it. There's more. I'll just do another one in a couple months. Doesn't matter. And also, I think it perpetuates the problem of people in California competing too often because there's so many meets, there's so many opportunities to step on the platform that these people just keep signing up for meet after meet after meet. So 
This was my 11th meet. I thought it was my 14th, but when you sign up for two categories, like bench only and full power on open powerlifting, it lists those separately. And I didn't, you know, a couple months ago, I like just counted all of the items. I didn't necessarily read because uh, reading's hard. So I read and in four years, I have done 11 meets to date. Which is not that many. Some people have done 11 meets in like a fucking year and a half. But this was my best meet to date, period. Wilkes, total, performance, everything. I did not have to cut at all for this meet. My resting weight was between 167 to 168 pounds for the past like three months. And all I did was skip dinner and... Uh, I drank a little bit of water in the morning um, before weigh-ins, and then I didn't drink water in the afternoon. And then I sat in the car in a garbage bag on the way there just to make sure I got out the last anything, and I weighed in a quarter pound under. So absolutely no extreme measures were taken, no suffering. I was, like, a little bit thirsty, maybe a little cranky because I hadn't eaten in, like, 12 hours, but best weigh-in situation ever your performance so when historically speaking I have cut for almost every single meet I've ever done well no, not every single um in the beginning when I first started powerlifting I didn't even know what weight classes were and I think that's a great thing that the person that was helping me become a powerlifter just we just walked on and he didn't even discuss weight classes with me um but out of the 11 meets that I've done, probably seven of them I have cut weight or made weight for. And every single time I cut, it affects my performance. Um, so let me talk about my meat and then I'll get into my, my rant because it's coming. I'm heated up. Um, so weighed in. Everything was great. I ate, but I didn't overstuff myself because I knew I didn't like cut weight. I just had basically skipped a meal. So I tried to compensate for that deficit in calories and ate a little extra sodium, a little extra carbs to fuel me. And then meat day, it was my second meat and wraps, but I kind of don't count it as my second. I'm counting it kind of as my first. My first meet and wraps was at the Kern US Open in 2018. And uh, my handler wasn't handling me too well, and we timed out for my second squat. Um, I got to the platform with two seconds left, didn't even have my wrist wraps on, and I didn't end up taking that weight. Um, and then my third squat, I should have, my handler should have, we should have wrapped up in the back, and I should have taken what I was supposed to take for my second in the back so that I didn't become cold we didn't and by the time my third came around because I hadn't squatted in like 30 minutes I just just went in the hole and couldn't come back up um it wasn't a good experience I only wrapped maybe like five or six times before the competition total the person who was handling me we only worked together like twice so it was not ideal it was a learning experience for sure this meet I had my friend Wally handling me we wrapped consistently at least once a week for the past like six weeks and um, I squatted 501, you guys. Fucking huge milestone to date in full power wraps and raw. There's only been 123 women that have squatted over 500 pounds. And now I'm 124, unless anybody did it this past weekend as well. So, I mean, that's a huge fucking accomplishment. I'm so stoked. And, like, 
Not that I didn't think it was going to happen, but I'm still fucking shocked. Um, my bench was I. I knew my bench, so I did this meet without taking performance-enhancing drugs, and I also didn't do any kind of peak. I just trained, and then I stopped training the Wednesday before the meet. Because um, this meet is kind of a test. I'm doing the Sisterhood of Strength meet in March, or I'm sorry, in May, and I'm fucking hammering my cycle, doing all the PEDs, taking it all, and uh, trending, going Hollywood. But I didn't want to be on a cycle for, like, 25 weeks. So I just wanted to do this to get my feet wet with wraps, to really get used to them, to really get comfortable in them. So then that way I can continue to perform in them. Um, so my bench was 264 pounds, which is a strong bench. But for me, that's not uh, that it's not reflective of my strength. My current comp max is 286. So it, my bench has taken a pretty big hit being all natural. And my deadlift, I wanted a platform PR going into this meet. I've pulled 475 pounds in the gym as a gym PR. Um, my platform PR is 451. So I, for my second attempt, I put 457 on and I got it. And it was pretty damn slow. So I only did a five pound jump for my third. I was even gonna skip my third, but I'm like, you know what, fuck it, I got nothing to lose. And uh, I started banding out at the knees, and I, like, need the bar away from me, and I just, it, it was not happening. So I went seven for nine, missed my third bench, um, three for three on squats. My first beat ever going three for three on squats, which is pretty fucking cool. But now my rant, in summation, I want to basically say this. Out of my 11 meets, it wasn't until the meet before this and this one, so October 2019 and February 2020, nine meets and then these two are the only ones that actually went to plan the only meets that i've walked in had a plan in my head executed performed and completed that plan as i wanted to do that comes with experience i am a seasoned lifter i know my technique i fucking rehearse my technique i technique 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 you can be fucking strong as hell but if you don't have the technique to match i'm sorry you're fucked and it's going to show on your performance on the platform because powerlifting consists of three technical lifts and if you don't understand the technique to perform them well like think of all of your idols think of all of the elite lifters you know have you ever seen them doing like nasty ass shitty lifts no, they look clean. They look solid. Those motherfuckers make it look easy because they work fucking hard. And, you know, circling around to the point of people just competing and competing, you know, y'all don't spend enough time in the gym actually working on getting stronger and improving your technique in order to highlight that on the platform in the form of PRs. So many people go into meets and they're like, you know, I want to get this and that and this and that. And like, yeah, that's it's great to want all of those things, but until you start to understand your body and how to move it, you know, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It took me like seven meets just to stop being fucking nervous stepping up to the platform. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I'm like, let's go. And it took a long time to get to that mentality stepping up to the stage. I remember I did the LA Fit Expo uh, January 2019. So not this past year, but the last year. I won the whole thing only going four for nine. It was my worst but best meet ever. I was totally embarrassed at my performance. I only got my opener for squat and deadlift and I got two benches. And uh and I broke all the records except for deadlifts, like super fucking not okay. And it was because I cut and my strength fucking tanked. But at that time, I was a super angry lifter, like, ah, slap myself, so much ammonia, slap me in the face, slap me in the back, screaming and yelling and like, 
Now I don't do any of that. I took one slap for one deadlift, like one good back slap. And I did do ammonia, but I keep my shit to myself because I'm thinking about my technique. I'm thinking about my breathing and I'm thinking about performing and executing the movement as I've done a million times in the gym. I'm not trying to get outside of myself and get fucking crazy because that's when you lose your headspace to be able to maintain control. Now, I'm not saying that certain people can't, you know, employ those strategies and techniques and do well, but that's what I've learned for myself as a lifter. And that's why it's taken me this long to truly achieve success on the platform. And success to me is going in with a plan and being able to execute it. Not that all of my other meets have been unsuccessful, but, you know, when you go in with the headspace of, I want to do this, this, and this, and then you don't, it kind of, it's a little bit of a letdown, but it doesn't mean that you failed. I feel like in the sport of powerlifting, as long as you're making some type of progress, whether it's a half a kilogram or your form gets better, you know, you did the same weight and you look at your technique, you're like, damn, um, that's progress in the sport. So that's my little PSA. It's just like, you know, it's the little things that matter. And to be successful as a lifter and have longevity in the sport, it takes a certain level of commitment off the platform to be able to be successful on the platform. Now we're getting to what I'm actually here to talk about, which is boundaries. So I had set a couple question boxes up for this, and I really didn't get much feedback because people are like, what do you mean boundaries? Like, you know, drawing a circle and coloring on the inside of it. I mean, boundaries, personal boundaries, professional boundaries, you know, physical boundaries, relationship boundaries, work boundaries. There's a million types of boundaries you can set for yourself. And I've realized that in the past, like eight or nine months, since I've started employing more boundaries for myself, my life has significantly improved in many ways. There's, you know, many, many, many things in life that are negotiable. You know, you make, uh, there's probably statistics out there, like a million decisions a day, right? But the things that the precedent that you set for yourself moving forward in this world, there's certain things that should not be negotiable. And it's, you know, how you feel and what you like to do and what you want to do and how someone else makes you feel and what you're willing to do for other people or for yourself in any given situation. So that's kind of what I want to highlight here in the rest of my podcast. I firmly believe that there's a sad but true statement out there. And if you don't have boundaries for yourself, you have little self-esteem for yourself because creating a boundary is an empowering position. Let me give you an example of a boundary. So I am a powerlifting coach. I coach at the current moment, 51 athletes. It is my full-time job. That's a lot of fucking athletes. I coach Monday through Friday virtually where the athletes submit videos to me that are anywhere from 30 seconds to uh, the longest I've probably gotten is 10 minutes long. I watch that video and then I respond with a video to them back anywhere from 30 minutes to I think 25 minutes is the longest feedback video I've done, giving them the necessary information that they need in order to successfully move forward with our programming. I also complete and do their next week's lifting. I do lifting one week at a time that is reflective of the week that they did previously, working on each individual's lifters, you know, deficits, 
and things that they need to do so that they can be better on the platform. And whether or not they're, you know, a truly competitive powerlifting athlete or just a regular general training client, I still want them to employ good safety and technique. So those are the things that we work on. I still am available to my athletes like 24-7 via text um, or phone call. If they need something, they reach out to me all the time. Um, I've set boundaries on my availability to be reached. So if I'm sleeping, nah. I have um, on the iPhone, you can set like a silent mode. So from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., my phone does not light up, vibrate, or anything for texts or calls. Um, If I'm performing physical therapy on a client, I do not answer my phone. If I'm at the gym, I do not answer my phone. So those are my times where I have set a boundary that I am unavailable as a coach. Um, You know, most people who have you know, your hairdresser, you can't just contact 24-7. Your boss, you can't just contact 24-7. You know, you have working hours and non-working hours. And although I have a nondescript job, it doesn't mean that I can't create timelines and boundaries for myself within that. Another boundary that I've created is checking in. So even though I have five days of, you know, Monday through Friday that I work, each athlete has their own specific day that they check in with their video for me. So say their check-in day is Sunday. They have all day Sunday from 12.01 a.m. to, you know, 11.59 p.m. to give me their video for their previous week of lifting. And then the following day is a rest day for them where I get the same 24-hour courtesy to give them their new week's lifting and their video feedback. I am never fucking late. So I expect my clients not to be late Um, because I cannot accommodate, you know, people who keep giving me their video late. I can't do it on the next day because I already have a lineup of other people. And that's how I stay organized and on time. So I've set a boundary that if someone checks in with me late, I do not give them video feedback. I just give them typed feedback back when it's convenient for me because that's a boundary that I've set that is you know a work standard that I've set for myself that I'm unwilling to change and that you know my self-esteem my self-worth is higher than you know allowing to kind of I'm not saying that my athletes walk all over me, but that's a precedent. And if I allow someone to check in late over and over again, I'm setting that precedent that I'm telling you that this is okay. And you know what? It's not fucking okay. So I don't allow it. So, you know, giving yourself the boundaries is also giving yourself value and it represents how much or how little you respect yourself. Think of boundaries as your friends. So how do you do that? How you, you know, discern your value? It's deciding what your core values are. You know, who are you? What do you value? Figuring out exactly what you're comfortable with and what you aren't comfortable with. So you know, those examples that I gave, those are things I'm not comfortable with taking late check-ins. I'm not comfortable with responding to clients while I am at the gym doing my workout. You know, I even, I tell my clients who lift at my gym, you know, although I'm there physically, I'm there doing my own shit. I don't interrupt you during your workout. And I appreciate if you don't interrupt me during mine, because I give each of those people their time slot during the week You know, I give them up to 30, 40 minutes of my time at their said check-in day. And, you know, if they want to do a one-on-one with me, we can absolutely schedule that if someone feels like they need more. And you shouldn't have to feel bad for saying no. That's where the self-worth and the self-esteem comes in. You cannot change others. 
but you can change yourself. We're not responsible for what other people do, the choices that they make, or their reactions to any actions. But the bottom line is you can change how you deal with them. So if you want an interaction to go differently, maybe the boundary you set for yourself is you will not let such said interaction get above a certain point to where you feel uncomfortable. Saying no, stopping an interaction, or doing something, standing up for yourself in a way that is only going to make you feel better. Like, you know, if you're thinking like, oh, well, you know, I might be scared to like tell somebody like, you know, you can't contact me here. Like, you know, dude, Ashley's such a fucking bitch. Like, when she's at the gym and she's trying to work out and, like, do her workout, she doesn't want me to come up and ask her questions about, like, my program when I could, like, text her any other time and she'll answer. Or I could, like, call her. Or I could, like, text her before I get to the gym. Like, I'm available all the time. Like, people aren't going to say you're a fucking asshole for just saying no. Like, I'm sorry. This is, you can say it nicely if you want. I don't really give excuses for my rationale because I feel like it's my rationale and that's who I am. And I've made that decision for a reason. But hey, I do explain things to people because I don't want to look like an asshole. Because sometimes there are situations that do need explanations. So, you know what? Betty, I think it's great that you're asking me these questions but i'm really here trying to work out so i appreciate it if you just let me do so or i'll send out a group email just saying like hey you guys just as a reminder when i'm at the gym i'm not here to answer questions for you so i know i keep giving those examples as examples but it's something that constantly comes up in my daily life so it's something i've set a hard boundary on and i'm very firm in keeping those and you can also have consequences for those decisions so just like my example if someone checks in late because I have a boundary of I do not accept late check-ins, they, a consequence is they don't get the video feedback that is, you know, usually given to them if they were to check in on time. Yes, they are paying for that service, but also there's an understanding in our coming together as a coach and an athlete that you check in and I respond in a certain time. And if you don't meet that time frame, that this is the consequence. So sometimes consequences can be motivation and not that it's a punishment and you're not judging someone for their choice or their behavior. It's just a natural reaction to the situation and that should be okay. So it's having boundaries is letting your behavior, not necessarily the words that come out of your mouth, but your behavior speaks for you, if that makes sense. Your boundaries clearly say to people that what you're willing to accept and what you're willing not to accept without you having to necessarily verbalize all of the minutia to them. So an example of this in kind of the negative way is say I have a client that is emailing me at 10 p.m. and I'm consistently responding to them at 11 p.m. or 12 p.m. at night or texting me, whatever. We'll say it's text. It's 2020. Okay. Somebody's texting me at 10 p.m. and I'm responding to them all the time at 10 p.m. I'm allowing that person without physically stating that I'm available at this time and it is okay to text me because I'm replying to you. So that is why at 10 p.m. my phone goes on silent mode and I don't answer it. Whether I'm awake, whether I'm not, I don't answer it because that is my boundary of my personal time. And nobody should get mad at you for having fucking personal time. And 
The next part I want to get to is saying what you mean and meaning what you say. Having a healthy set of boundaries. You don't want to confuse people or confuse relationships or have a certain set of boundaries for this person, but not for that person. That's why I said a lot of things are negotiable. So like all the decisions you make during the day, you know, do I want vanilla? Do I want chocolate? Am I going to, you know, turn here or turn there? It's like you can make a million decisions that change all the time. The boundaries that I'm talking about are core values, like things that would make your blood boil if you allowed them to happen. But some people just silently allow atrocities to happen in their life and then they feel vengeful, they feel guilty, they feel disheartened, and they feel like they've been wronged. But I'm sorry, sister, if you don't set a clear and present space for yourself and your needs, and you allow someone to trample all over them, it's kind of your fault. Um, I'm going to use an example, and I know this person listens to my podcast, and I'm not calling you out. I just want to use this as a great example. I love you. I'm not going to say your name. But this person and her fiancé have their mother, it's her future mother-in-law, living in their house. And she is actually a vegetarian client of mine, and she is... um, so I gave her a meal plan and she like went shopping and then she messaged me a couple days later and she's like, Hey, I'm having a really hard time because my future mother-in-law lives in our space. She, you know, has the refrigerator packed. I don't have much space for my things. The garage is full. There's no room for a refrigerator. And they're like, I don't know what to do because I cannot successfully complete this plan without the, that space. And I'm like, well, have you talked to her about this? And it's it's kind of like in limbo, like where the boundary lies. And I told her straight up, like, you need to fucking tell her, like, make space for me, period. This is my house and I'm allowing you to stay in it. And I love you and I appreciate you being here. And I'm sure you appreciate the offer that has been given. But I need this space and you need to create it for me. And this is a non-negotiable right now. And I don't know how it's going to be done. I will help you if you want, but I need this. And you shouldn't have to say, I'm sorry. And I apologize. And, you know, woe is you because you have to change. It's no, it's she is invading your personal boundary and your personal space. And this is something that needs to be done. And stepping up for yourself and standing up for yourself is an amazing, amazing thing. So boundaries with family can get hairy, kind of like I was just describing. Um, I get really stressed when I go home to Ohio because I feel like it's just a constant barrage of, oh, Ashley, you need to go here. Ashley, you need to go there. Ashley, this person wants to see you. Ashley, that person wants to see you. And by the time my fucking vacation is done, I just feel more stressed than when I came. And this is something that I've been realizing. So being self-aware of your own feelings is super important to having a boundary. Because like I said, a boundary is something that's like a non-negotiable of your core values. Something that just makes your stomach churn when you think about it or when you're in that situation. Those are the non-negotiables, not a bunch of other pussy shit that doesn't matter. So that's something that like I fucking dread going home because I hate being in that little pony parade of you need to go here and you need to go there. Fuck that. If I'm spending flying from California to Ohio for some reason is like the most expensive fucking flight ever. It's like 600 bucks. If I'm going to spend 600 bucks a flight, so 1200, Stephen and I, and then, you know, food and hotel and a rent a car and all that bullshit, I ain't going to get carted around like driving Miss Daisy from here and there. So I am going to Ohio in April. 
and I've already let it be known since January, three months in advance, hey, I'm coming home. I will be here from this day to this day, and Sunday the 19th, I would like to have a family get-together. Let's do it at a restaurant or something, and you can tell everybody that if they want to come see me, they can come to this place in time. And then that way, the rest of my five-day you know, stint of being in Ohio, I actually get to enjoy myself. And I don't feel guilt or shame from having some you know, artificial expectations that has been put on me. I'm setting the expectation for myself. And I'm not allowing any other outside force to deviate myself from that. So tuning into your feelings or red flags or cues that you feel of that you're letting go of your boundary is something that you need to make sure that you're aware of. And that goes right along with being direct about how you feel about those things. Something that I feel like is important is giving yourself permission. Feeling guilty, feeling fearful, or having doubt about setting a boundary with a person, a place, a physical relationship, it might, you know, be a pitfall where you don't want to keep that boundary up. But you need to believe that you can cope with any situation and think about why you deserve to have a boundary there in the first place. So something that's important with boundaries is support. So whether it's support of your partner, your spouse, your family, you know, if you're having a hard time dealing with a situation, you can seek support from some kind of external group and you can talk with each other and practice setting boundaries and hold each other accountable for those boundaries. But what if your partner will not be vocal about the boundaries that he or she has for themselves? That's a little bit of a conundrum. Maybe you can not necessarily make a game out of it, but maybe you're realizing like, hey, I'm in this relationship with someone and he or she is not telling me what is important to them. And then it comes up later that, oh my God, this was a non-negotiable for me. And you broke this, you know, contract that I have with myself that I don't allow this to happen. But maybe you literally need to sit down and write out, these are my three non-negotiables in this relationship. And these are my three non-negotiables in this relationship. And then it's stated and it's maybe that person is just, you know, maybe their self-esteem is low. And maybe they don't feel like they have that self-worth to be able to say, these are things that are important to me that I'm not willing to be flexible on. And I'm not sorry about that because I care about myself that much. That doesn't mean that you care about that other person any less. That means that you care about yourself enough to be healthy in a good headspace, to be able to move forward with things that don't upset you that much in that way. And that is okay. So if you don't have boundaries set for yourself and you're realizing that like in my life, people kind of walk all over me and it's because I don't set firm boundaries of, you know, my time, my respect, my, you know, physical attributes or my, you know, my monetary, you know, whatever it may be. Like any new skill, start small. You know, when I train, change someone's technique for squat, I usually tell them like, 
just practice one element at a time. You learned six things today. Practice one. So, you know, do something small that it doesn't feel overwhelming. It takes practice. It takes courage and it takes support. And it's a skill that you can master. And I, like I said, I've been working on this for nine months and my life has been exponentially better since I've been setting boundaries for myself of things I am willing to do and not willing to do. And I'm okay with that. Um, I feel like examples for boundaries are kind of the best. Another thing is uh, physical therapy. Um, So when we first moved into our duplex, I was doing physical therapy any available moment I could. Like I, you know, I do my clients from like 7 a.m. to like 1 or 2 p.m. I would see a client from like 2 to 3 or 3 to 4 and then I'd go to the gym from 4 to 7.30 and then i go to bed. And Tuesdays and Thursdays I was seeing clients from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. on top of working. So I'd have to get my work done even earlier. And Saturdays and Sundays we go to meets and stuff like that. And like I was literally dying. I had no time for myself no freedom and I just felt like I was boxing myself into this never-ending hole and it was just to make money like yes I need money right now we need have a lot of financial goals that we need money for but is getting that money at the expense of my happiness and my well-being because I was kind of being a fucking bitch because I was pretty stressed worth doing all of that absolutely not so now I have boundaries with my physical therapy Right now, because I'm doing coaching full-time, I do physical therapy one day a week. It's either Tuesdays or Thursdays. Whoever books with me first for that week on a Tuesday or Thursday, I block my schedule off for the other day. So I have this time, this time, and this time available. Okay, if you can't see me, I have two weeks from now. If you can't see me, I have three weeks from now. And that's a hard line, period. I don't flex that for anybody right now because... That is a boundary that I've created for myself, and maybe I'll lose some physical therapy clients over it. I don't give a fuck because my happiness and having some free time for myself is worth more than the money that I would make in that hour. One last boundary that I've set for myself is going to clients' meets. Um, I know all of these examples are lifting, but I feel like the most... um, boundaries that I've set recently are on my current vocation because being a powerlifting coach and working for yourself as a physical therapist are so loose because I don't have any type of set schedule and it's more customer service based interaction. So there's a lot of liberties and freedoms that come with that. Um, I was basically going to any client's meet that was within a, you know, two hour distance I never charge my clients to go to their meets, period. So that's, that's a boundary I've set for myself that I will not do. Um, but it was getting to the point where every single weekend we were going to meets and going to meets and going to meets. And, you know, now that I have this many clients and the majority of them are in California, I'm like, fuck, like, I'm not getting a break. Like, you know, I love going hiking and going on adventures and I actually love my husband and I want to spend time with him. So when we do these meets that are, you know, on Saturday, Monday through Friday, I'm working and training Saturday. We go to these meets Sunday. I lift and I just want to fucking chill by the time that comes. So for 2020, something I decided to do for myself was create a spreadsheet of all of the available meets that are currently open in the USPA, which is the biggest affiliation around here. And I sent it out to all my clients and I highlighted which ones I'll be attending, which ones I might go to and which ones I'm definitely not going to. And if those clients feel like they want to be at a meet where I will be there, that gives them the opportunity to see. So that way, hopefully, I will have the majority of people who want me to be there signing up for the same type of meets. And I've just set a hard line that the other ones I'm not going to. And 
that's okay. You know, I shouldn't, you know, being a powerlifting coach doesn't necessarily mean that your coach goes with you to the meet. I have athletes, you know, that are overseas or across the country and they don't get the luxury of having me there. It's nice to have your coach at a meet, but it's not 100% necessary for your success. I do feel like being at a meet is like the pinnacle, you know, the the best moment to be with their lifter when they're on the platform. But I also feel like I need to set a boundary of my personal space and having, you know, a weekend or two free during the month because I also do clinics and events at our gym. So I was getting to the point where every single weekend of the month, it was meet, 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 clinic, event. And I was like, fuck, because I plan all of the events for the gym. So I was I was feeling pretty stressed and like I didn't have a sense of identity or any kind of personal life outside of powerlifting, whether it was for myself or for my clients. And therefore, I set that boundary. And guess what? Nobody's dropped me as a coach since. They probably respect me more for that. And sometimes creating boundaries helps other people understand you more because you are easier to read because you've given these non-negotiables. But I am flexible in many, many ways. And just because you have boundaries doesn't mean you need to be a rigid piece of plastic that is immobile. So this is a shorter podcast episode than my normal ones. Uh, My next episode, I think I want to do... I might do one on water cutting. Um... A lot of people wanted that. I might do one on me and Steven, or I might do one on being a business owner. I think it's going to be being a business owner because a lot of people have expressed interest in that, but I will post some questions on it in the future. So I thank you all for listening and I hope you have an amazing week and we're going to veg out.